Good morning. Well, I am very glad to be with you guys again this Sunday morning. And I am very glad that at the moment it is not a horrible downpour washing away all life on earth. Um, which earlier this week it certainly had seemed like as we had the, the tail end of that tropical storm, I guess, come through here. And um, seems like seemed like everything would never dry out again. Although God promised that wouldn't happen again, so I need to have faith. This morning, we are in the book of Psalms again, and I've talked before. Psalms is the prayer book of the nation of Israel. And we talked, you know, we've been talking about the story of Israel, how God made a good creation, and through man's disobedience, we brought corruption, death, sin into that creation, and then God's plan to redeem that creation, choosing first a man, then a family, then a nation, the nation of Israel. And, and we looked at how their history kind of went and how even though that was, the, the, that was their calling and their plan, they kind of wandered away from it. And anyway, Psalms is the, the prayer book of the nation of Israel. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 103, which is a psalm of David. And even though David wrote this psalm, the book of Psalms as a whole isn't, isn't the work of David. It was actually probably done by the nation of Israel at the time they were returning from their exile in Babylon. They had actually, things had gotten so bad and they'd forgotten the Lord so much that the Lord allowed their enemies to overcome them and carry them off into captivity. And at the time they were coming out of captivity, they, to, to kind of hold themselves together, they'd lost their temple and they needed a focus for their public life. And one of the things they did was they brought together all the songs of praise and the, the songs of lament that had been written by various figures in their history. And they brought them together in the book of Psalms. And they actually organized them in a way to tell a story. And uh, the first three sections of the book of Psalms tend to be more psalms of lament. You have, you have really good psalms of praise in there too. But the overall tone tends to be psalms of lament. And then the last two sections really tend to be looking forward and praise. But even in the praise psalms, you still have psalms of lament. So the one we're looking at today, Psalm 103, uh, follows a psalm of lament where the uh, anonymous author is just lamenting the condition of, uh, of life and he's praying to God. And this, this one that follows it is really good because it's a psalm of praise and it is, it is a psalm of praise of David. So if you have your Bibles, will you read along with me? Today I'm going to be, uh, usually I read from NIV, but um, I mean, this, there are plenty of good translations. This morning I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version just because I think they, they have more of a touch of, of, of the intent of the language and the poetry of it, and it just reads beautifully. So Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your strength is, your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. 
The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we are made. He remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you his mighty ones who do his bidding. Be obedient to his spoken word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers that do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. The word of the Lord. Really, I should just leave now because that's good and anything I do will probably pull it down from the level of God's wisdom. So here's David and he is, he's doing a very necessary thing. He is reminding himself and this is this this poem is actually going to move through three acts with one concluding line. And he's reminding himself of the goodness of God. He's going to start seeing to his own heart and to his own, his own being. In the first verse there, when he says, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The reason, the reason I like the, the New Revised Standard Version here, the NIV is great, but it's, in the NIV it'll say, Praise the Lord. And there actually is a Hebrew construction that's better translated as praise the Lord. And that's, we usually bring it right across from Hebrew, uh, untranslated, hallelujah, which really means praise the Lord. But bless is really what's going on here. And it's the, the Hebrew word here is barach. And it, it, it has this connotation of kneeling down in worship, of being in awe. So it's not just praise the Lord, but it's, it's bless the Lord, be in awe. And the way you bless the Lord, it would be odd. I, I love my wife, and it would be odd if I just went up to her and I said, oh, I bless you, I bless you. I mean, you know, you, she'd kind of get it. You, you know, you say bless you when somebody sneezes. But what you're really doing is you're just in awe of what this person means, what this person has done. What is going on here? You're remembering it. You're reminding yourself of it. And we need desperately to remind ourselves as this starts out. That's one of the, one of the pitfalls you can fall into um, if you become a preacher is you can get really good at, at preaching sermons for a congregation or, for, or teaching for whatever group. And you forget, to, you forget to teach and preach to yourself, and we need it most. So David starts by going to his own soul and all that's within him. And it, it's interesting because when, when he says not only his soul, but everything within him, he means his body and his, his soul. We talk about how in, in, in the Garden of Eden, God created us and he gave us bodies. He made us spirits 
in, he made us spirit and body together. He didn't make us separate. Other peoples in the ancient world, particularly the Greeks, but through the influence of Plato, would think of themselves as, oh, I am this spiritual being that just happens to be trapped in a body right now. But that's not the picture we get in biblical creation. That's why we're promised a resurrection. We're not just promised to spend eternity as disembodied spirits. We're promised a resurrection because God originally made us as embodied beings. And he said that was good. So David's saying, my soul and my body, my whole life, bless the Lord, bless his holy name. I'm just going to remind myself of how good God is. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and don't forget all his benefits. Don't forget how good the Lord has been to us. Remind ourselves how good the Lord has been to us. I can, um, as, as anybody can, it's real easy to focus on the stuff that goes wrong in the world. You know, it, it, it rains a ton and suddenly your greenhouse is leaking into your living room or you turn the corner too sharp and break a wheel off your car. All sorts of weird stuff happens, just to choose some random examples. And it's really easy to focus on that kind of stuff. And in, um, I, I've, I've had some really wonderful blessings in my life. One of, the, one of the blessings was the chance to hike the Appalachian Trail, which is a really cool thing. And I noticed something after I finished it the first time in 97. I was going back through my journal and it's like this, the coolest thing in the world to get to spend that time moving through the mountains and experiencing everything. But my journal was like, oh man, you know, I got blisters today. You know, I dropped my filter in the water and now I can't find it. So I have to boil all my water. And then I read my journal and it was like, oh boy, this was a horrible trip. So, um, so the second time I, I said, you know, okay, I'm just, I'm going to finish every day when I'm writing my journal. I'm just going to put the three best things about the day. And it changes your focus and it changes your experience. And uh, one of the, the practices I've adopted um, in, in later years, um, every morning when I get up, I have a little journal that says thanks on the cover. And I just, I just fill a page with the things I am thankful to God for that morning. As simple as, thank you for coffee. I really love coffee, God. This world would be a sad place without coffee. Some of you may disagree. It's okay. God gives grace and there is repentance for sin. Um, but, you know, you just, you, you fill with all the good things because there's so many good things. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. Um, but there's so many, there are so many just average blessings in life that we just skate right over. People will talk about the problem of evil. You know, how can there be a good God when there's evil in the world? Well, the whole reason we realize there's evil in the world is because the background state of the world is pretty good. You know, if every morning we got up and the atmosphere we breathed burned our lungs and we couldn't see, you know, then you could talk about how horrible the world is. But we only see the horrible because so much is so good all the time. So it's very beneficial to just remind ourselves of that all the time. God is good. God is blessing. His heart towards us is good. You know, verse 3, he forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. The, the Hebrew behind iniquity there is really serious. Um, iniquity is good church language. He heals our iniquities. 
But it really means he takes care of your perversions, your selfishness, your basest moments. He, he forgives it all. And he heals your disease. Once again, we're these embodied beings and God cares and restores all of, all of that. It's really interesting that in the New Testament, when we see Jesus going forth, he, he heals people all the time. And a lot of the times he goes, oh, your sins are forgiven. You know, get up and walk. He links the two. Not, not necessarily saying that disease is a, is, a, um, is a reward for sin, although sometimes it can be, but that they're both kind of part of the human condition you know, we have diseases of the flesh because we live in a fallen world now. And we have sins because we live in a fallen world now. And that's okay. God can take care of them both. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good as long as you live so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. We, we as Christians, we believe that because of our bad choices, because of the bad choices of our forefathers, we're, we're destined for destruction. We, don't, we're, we were made for life, but now we're subject to death. But God says, I'm going to redeem you from the pit. I am going to pay the price to bring you out of that. And not only that, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Well, when he says steadfast love there, he's getting back to that that covenant love that he first expressed to Abraham and that he talks about and he says, even if you're unfaithful, I will remain faithful. That's that love he's talking about there, that covenant love where he is steadfast because of what he has promised us. And mercy, the word mercy there is related to the Hebrew word for womb. And it's like, not only am I faithful to you and I love you because of covenant, but I have a heart towards you as the mother has given birth to a child, that's my heart to you. And I'll crown you with that steadfast love. Well, crown, the original picture in the garden, we were made to be God's agents to rule creation, and we forfeited that. But when he redeems us from the pit, he restores us to that role through his, through his love and his mercy. And he satisfies us with good things. And, and the word satisfy, it's not that he just gives us good things. It's that he satisfies us with good things. We have no wants. We have no needs that he does not answer. We're not going to be halfway satisfied. I know people, people will debate, and, and because we've created these popular versions of, of afterlife, and we, we think of kind of disembodied spirits and, you know, you go to heaven and you just, you praise. And it, it seems very thin and, and, and shallow to people. But actually, the resurrection and new creation, it will fill every need, every desire. Every desire for beauty you have will be filled. Everything you see in this world that's beautiful to you is just an echo of what God has. You know, we have that wonderful promise, eye has not seen nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him, we will be fully satisfied. We won't have unmet longings. But in God, we will be fully satisfied. And we will be renewed. We will be strengthened. Because we are satisfied, we will be strengthened. And that's, that's God's restoration from us. 
if, if our only promise was that we could be forgiven of the things we did wrong, if you're forgiven of, of something you did wrong, but you still have the guilt and you still have the break there, you're not really equipped to go forward and carry on the work of God, but he restores you and renews you so that what happened isn't the end of your story. It doesn't impede your story, but you can go on and keep doing the work of the Lord. Well, that's that first, that first part. David's kind of addressing himself. He's kind of making it personal. Now he's going to expand it to the nation of Israel. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. Or you might have righteousness and justice uh, in, your, in your translations. He made ways known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's talking about, he's looking back to the redemption of Israel from the nation of Egypt when they were oppressed, when they were pushed down by Egypt, the Lord brought them out and restored them. He made them a nation in there. He made known, I love this next part because it's, 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 there's a little duality there. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. Everybody in Israel could see what God was doing. They could, when they got the Ten Commandments, they got the Ten Commandments. They could see the pillar of fire. They could see the pillar of cloud. But God explained what he was doing to Moses. So there's this kind of level of intimacy. He's not just, he's not just acting powerfully. Um, Greek, Greek and all the different pagan religions would, would talk about their gods acting powerfully and doing these things. You could see storm clouds and you could see that. But, but only... Only the Hebrews have this notion that God comes close and he explains what's in his heart and he shares his ways with you. And he is merciful and gracious and we're coming back to that mother love. You know, his heart towards you is the heart of a mother who's given birth to children. Gracious, he gives us things we don't even deserve. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. There's this notion all through the Bible. You know, we can, you can tend to focus on and hear these messages about the wrath of God, and he seems very wrathful in the Old Testament. But if you read, you see that that is only instantaneous and for a second in response to a situation, but that over and over again, his, his long-term heart is, is love and mercy. Even, even after Israel goes into exile, he's like, I haven't abandoned you. Wherever you go, pray for the place you're in, do good to it, because I know what I'm doing, and I will bring you back. The love of, the God, of God abides longer. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. God doesn't stay mad. If God accuses you, we call it conviction. He's telling you what you've done because he doesn't want you to stay in that. He wants you to move beyond it. But once you've moved beyond it, it's done. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. If he did, we'd be toast. Most mornings I would be hit by a lightning bolt within 15 minutes of the time I wake up, Uh, especially if I can't find the coffee. Then maybe it's five minutes of the time I wake up. It's my, my... my level of sanctification seems to be tied somewhat to my level of caffeination. 
then one of the greatest promises in the Bible, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our transgressions from us. As far as the heavens are above the earth. Let me give you a 21st century translation of this, you know, ancient Hebrew. As vast as the cosmos is God's love towards us. It doesn't run out. His mercies are new every morning. Our sin, because we are finite, is, is limited. We can only sin so much. We're, lim we're limited beings. There's no limit to how much God can love. It will always be bigger. It will always be enough to answer. And he takes our sin from us, and he removes it as far as the west is from the east. And we know west and east aren't locations. They're directions, and they can never come together. So your sin is removed from you in a way where it can never be part of you again. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. Again, it's this love. It's not, it's not a judge. Now, some of us may have had, you may have had a father who was overly strict with you, but that's not how God is. You know, I talked last week about going, being with my grandkids, and I am going through serious grandchild withdrawal right now. Even, even the two-year-old Dominic, I love him. I got to play dinosaurs with him every morning. And, um, but when he gets cranky, he gets cranky. And he'll be like, I don't want to play. I don't love you. Go away. Well, I don't go. <laughs> well, enough with you. I cast you from my presence. Never come to come before me again. I would be utterly ridiculous to treat a two-year-old like that. I remember, he's two. He has the attention span of a shrew. You know, he's a good little kid. He's just, that's his state. That's God towards us. Because we want to take sin with the appropriate seriousness and recognize it, it is appropriate for us to be, to be deeply grieved by it. But we also need to realize that God knows how we're made. He knows what we're subject to. And he takes that into account. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. We have a limited lifespan, but God knows that, and he takes it into account. And the steadfast love of God is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. His righteousness to his children's children. You know, First Peter, it, it, First Peter will actually riff off of this a little bit. And it will talk about man is like the grass of the field. You know, he flowers for a little and he's gone. But then it talks about the word of the Lord endures forever. And that's the word that's in you. Yes, naturally, it, it left to our own selves in this fallen world, we're here for a little while, then we're gone, and nobody remembers us. There were people who were the most powerful people in the world at their time, in, in ancient uh, Mesopotamia, in Egypt, and, and now we'll run across their name on a, on a stone somewhere in the desert, you'll find a monument or something with that, that person's name, and we know nothing about them. 
At one point, they were the movers and shakers. They were the people that shaped the destiny of thousands. And now nobody remembers them. Without God, that, that is our destiny. But, as Peter says, the eternal word of God has entered into us. So now, because he has that eternal life, we are partakers of that eternal life. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his commands. We always have to remember this is what we're part of. And then David's going to conclude it, and he's going to bring it out from just the nation of Israel and the covenant people to all of creation. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding obedient to his spoken word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, all the stars in the sky, all the ministers that do his will, all the principles, principalities, and powers. Bless the Lord in all his works, in all places of his dominion. In all places of his dominion, there is no part of creation, actually, that is not under God's dominion. So it is appropriate for all of creation to bless God. And then he brings it back and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Recount the goodness of God. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that is true. We are made in very unique ways. When God made me, he made me in very interesting ways. I, when I study things, when I learn things, they just lock into my brain. Um, or even things that I just encounter in life that I encounter that I enjoy, they get in there so that, you know, both professionally, I, I can remember all sorts of obscure things. I remember that in the year AD 69, the Roman Empire went through the year of four emperors after, the, after Nero's suicide. You had Galba, Otho, Vitellius, and Vespasian in quick succession as the emperors of Rome. I remember that, no problem. June 6, 1944, D-Day, I remember that. Stuff that's a little more obscure that I had to learn in college but haven't had no need for since, I still remember. Um, American pronghorn antelopes are the only living member of the family Antillicapridae, the goat antelopes. Got no idea what use that is now, but it's stuck in there. Um, music that I love. Um, Billy Duffy, the guitarist for the cult, was playing a Gretsch White Falcon through a Roland keyboard amplifier when he recorded She Sells Sanctuary. I remember that. I remember all that stuff. I don't remember where my car keys are. I have to, if I am sick, I have to ask my wife, um, did I take my morning antibiotics? We, we remember certain things and we forget certain things. That's, that's just part of life. But it becomes a problem in some ways. One of the ways is we remember our sins. We remember when we screw up. This is different from God. God said in Hebrews 8.12, I'm going to remember your sin no more. It's, it's gone. I don't remember it. And it's as if we hear God saying, I will remember your sins no more. And we just step up and say, that's okay, God. I got this one. Um, but he forgets our sins. We remember them. What do we forget? We forget God's forgiveness. We remember how we screwed up, but we forget how God forgives us. His, it's his joy and his, his love to just blot out our sins and remember them no more. 
That's why it says, you know, he will not accuse for he will not always accuse. There is a time for conviction, but he does not keep harping on it. Now, Hebrews, I mean, the Hebrews actually had a good word for somebody who accuses and a name for somebody who just accuses all the time, and that's what he does. Uh, in Hebrew, you call that a Satan, means the accuser. So there is somebody that will accuse you all the time, but it's not God. God says, I've dealt with it, I've forgiven it, I look at you, I see my son, it's no more. So remind yourselves of the forgiveness and goodness of God and learn to have some holy amnesia about the stuff he's already forgiven you from.